series in, in the book of Titus. And I mentioned, and I'm just a little quiz, I mentioned that Paul wrote to Titus. Titus was the pastor of the church on the island of Crete. It's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And that Paul addressed three main issues in that church. Do you remember what those issues were? Can you remember? Can you recall those three main issues? What was one of them? We actually talked about that issue two weeks ago. It begins with an L. Leadership. There we go, Dante. So he addressed the issue of leadership. And then last week, he addressed the second issue. What was that other issue? False teachers. False teaching, false teachers. And today, we're going to deal with that third issue. We're starting chapter 2 today. And that third issue was the whole idea of godliness. And so today, and then in the next few weeks, we're going to look at that issue of godliness. Paul was saying that godliness is the key ingredient to leadership. He also would say that that godliness um, is undermined by false teaching. So the church of Jesus, the body of Christ, is to help everybody. The purpose of our church is to help people become disciples of Jesus Christ, to become mature in Jesus Christ. And that's called godliness. When we imitate Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when we're conformed to the image of Jesus, we become godly. So we're going to read through uh, Titus chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to discover some of the values and virtues of godliness, of godly living. Uh, You can follow along on your device, in your Bible, or on the screen. Titus 2, chapter 1, verse 1 says, As for you, Titus. He's addressing Titus. This is what I'm telling you to do, Titus. Promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. What kind of living are we talking about? We're talking about godly living. He just spent verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1 condemning false teaching, condemning false teachers. And now what he's doing is he's promoting wholesome teaching, true teaching. And the result of wholesome teaching should be Godly living is what Paul's saying. Teaching should affect the way that you live. And Paul's saying here, if you have solid Bible teaching, but it doesn't affect your life, if it doesn't affect the way that you live, then your teaching is not accomplishing God's intended purposes. God's intended purposes of our teaching, of Bible teaching, is it affects the way that we live. And as a pastor of the church of Crete, this island of Crete, Titus was to encourage and champion godly living. Verse 2, Paul says, Teach now, teach the older men to exercise self-control and to be worthy of respect. So older men, older men in the church, be self-controlled and be worthy of respect. Now, when people are older, We're supposed to give them respect. Isn't that correct? As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to respect everybody, but you're supposed to respect your elders, right? But what he's telling them here is to not just have respect from everybody, but earn respect from everybody. You earn respect by godly living, by being uh, an older man of integrity, by having humility, 
by being a good listener, being quick to listen, slow to be, speak, slow to become angry, by speaking gently and respectfully to other people. When you have self-control and wisdom, then you earn this respect. Be worthy of respect and live wisely. They must have a sound faith and be filled with love and patience. So what he's saying here, okay, you older men, this is godly living for older men, having a faith that is deep, a faith that reflects years of growth and development, a faith that reflects an understanding of biblical sound doctrine, not the false doctrines that we just read about in chapter 1. Be filled with, have a sound faith, be filled with love. And this word love, this is the opposite of selfishness. Don't be a selfish old person, an old man. Don't be self-centered. Don't be self-pleasing. Put other people first as an older person. Be filled with love. Be filled with patience. This word patience, it means endurance. It means that the older that you get as an older man, the more you realize that life is hard. The older you get, the more you realize that things don't always go your way. In fact, older men, things rarely go our way. But maturity and godliness come from being patient in those difficult times. It comes from enduring and persevering in adversity. Let's go on to verse 3. Similarly, Titus, you're teaching the older men to be godly. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Teach the older women to be godly. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. What's this word slander mean? It's saying, hey, older women, watch what you say. Watch how you say it. And watch why you say it. What's the difference between gossip and slander? Gossip is when you say something behind somebody else's back, and it's malicious, and it's true. Slander is when you say something about somebody behind their back, and it's malicious, but it's not true. That's slander. So watch what you say, how you say it, and why you say it. Are you malicious in your intent in the things that you say. So teach the women to not slander. Teach them to not be heavy drinkers. Now apparently in Crete, there was an issue with women drinking too much. Now remember, it's an island. There's an island culture. You know, everything's okay, man. Drink as much as you want, man. And woman. So there was a problem there. But he was saying, hey, to be godly, you've got to be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit not under the influence and control of alcohol or any other type of foreign substance. Teach the women to not be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. They should teach others to live godly. They should teach godliness. What does this word to teach mean? It actually means to train, to give instruction, instruction that leads to um, practical skills, practical habits of godly living. Teaching that's not just for information, but for transformation. Who are they supposed to teach? Well, let's read verse 4. These older women must teach and train the younger women. 
To do what? To love their husbands and their children. So there's an order here. We love God first, love our spouse second, love our children third. When we get that order mixed up, things don't go as well. God first, spouse second, children third. Verse 5, teach these younger women to live wisely. This is some, In verse 2, he said the same thing to the older men. Teach the older men to live wisely. Teach the, the younger women to live wisely and to be pure. And this means to be wholesome, to have a modesty on the outside that reflects a purity on the inside. The inner beauty was more valuable and important than the outer beauty. Outer beauty is fine. God has made women more beautiful than men. Amen. But the inner beauty is more important than the outer beauty. Teach them to live wisely and to be pure and to work in their homes. Now you might say, time out here, Joel. What are you saying? Women got to stay in the home? That's not what it's saying here. Is it fine for young women, for old women to work outside the home? Absolutely. But God's given the home to the women as their responsibility to oversee. This doesn't give husbands license to say, your responsibility is the home. You clean the home. Everything in the home falls on your shoulders. No. Women have the, the, the responsibility in the home. They're the ones who divvy up the chores for everybody in the home, including husbands. We do those things too. I didn't hear an amen from our, from our ladies. That's what it's saying here. To work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. In this culture, in Crete, on the island, there were loud women, there were drunken women, and they were combative women, combating their husbands. And so Paul's saying there's got to be some order and responsibility. Men, you're to be the leaders, and women to come alongside and support your husbands, not submissive where you have to do everything they command you to do, but there's a leader in the home, and that's the husband. And the women have the responsibility to manage and oversee the home, and they work together in doing that. Then you will not bring shame on the Word of God. What he's saying here is it's shameful to be loud and controlling and foolish and overcome by drink. What Paul's saying here is, hey, on this island culture, there's this new faith in Christ that's begun here, and now there's a new pathway for young women who believe in Christ. There's a new lifestyle that's different than the island culture. There's a new ambitions, new godliness, not like the other women of Crete. There's a godly living that now we're, 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 uh, we're bringing about. Does that make sense? It's not just the older men and the older women and the younger women. Verse 6 addresses the young men. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And that's it. Man, there's all these different bullet points for the older men, older women, younger women. Why is it just this one thing for the younger men? I guess this sort of wraps up what's wrong with the younger men. Because this covers a lot of things. This live wisely is translated, be self-controlled. Don't be controlled by your desires. Don't be controlled by your lusts. Don't be controlled by greed. 
Don't be controlled by ambition. Don't be controlled by your anger and rage. Don't be controlled by a desire for power and to be controlling over your your spouse. Don't be controlled by popularity. Don't be controlled, and I'm adding some of this here, by entertainment, young men. I've got to play my Xbox, got to be on my phone, got to be on Snapchat and everything else. Don't be controlled by these things, but live wisely. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by God. These other things, when they control you, they lead to regrets. They can lead to and be driven by foolishness, not living wisely. So young men, live wisely. Older men, teach them how to do it. Show them how to do it. So old men, young men, older women, younger women, and now verse 7 addresses Titus himself and leaders. You yourself, you've got to be an example to them, to the old men, old women, younger men, younger women. Be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. In other words, be an example to them of how to live a godly life. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So what he's saying here is is Titus, this is your job description for you and for these leaders we talked about in chapter 1. You've got to set an example above all else. Teaching is important, but your example is more important. Because what you do, your integrity, that will either uh, legitimize your teaching and reinforce your teaching, or it will kind of disqualify you as a teacher because no one will listen to what you have to say because they've seen your life and you're not setting a godly example. So pastors and leaders first model teaching with our life, with our example, and then we verbally teach with our voice, with our words, what you do. Let your integrity reflect the seriousness of your teaching. Verse 8, teach then the truth. As opposed to the the false teachers in chapter 1, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized than those who oppose us. And guess what? As a leader, you will be opposed. People will oppose you. Those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us because of our example of the way that we live our lives and because our teaching is true. Finally, verses 9 and 10. Slaves must always obey their masters. This is a good time for a timeout too. Because for generations, Christians would look at a verse like this or other New Testament verses or Old Testament passages that refer to slavery. And they would say, slavery's in the Bible. It's okay if we own slaves. And Christians did in this country, and they legitimized it with verses like this. And I just want to say, remember last week we talked about false teaching, and they had Jewish myths? This is one of those false teachings. This does not endorse or legitimize um, the wickedness of slavery. Praise God that slavery has been done away with in this country. But that does not legitimize just having a verse there. So why is this even in here? Why is this even relevant for today? When we hear them talk about slaves and masters in this passage, uh, the way that that's equitable in our world today is think about employees and employers. These are good biblical directives for godliness 
in the workplace. So in verses 9, look at it as saying, Employees, always obey your employer and do your best to please them. Don't talk back, verse 10, or steal. You must show themselves, workers must show themselves, to be entirely trustworthy and good. In other words, as a worker, be godly. Then they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Well, we just spent a lot of time walking through those ten verses. And there's a lot in these ten verses about godliness. Well, I'm going to make a few practical uh, observations and conclusions about, um, about this passage. First of all, recognize that godliness, it's the result of and also the goal of discipling. Did you notice that verses 2 through 6 were all about discipling, making disciples? The pastor is supposed to disciple the older men who disciple the younger men. pastor disciples the older women who disciple the younger women. It's all about how do we disciple other people? What do we teach them? How do we model for them? What, do we, what example do we set? That's verses 2 through 6. But did you notice that their book ended? Verse 1 is all about teaching and how our teaching should result in godliness. Living like a disciple, imitating Christ as a result of our teaching, verse 1. And then the other bookend, verse 7, is again set an example of godliness. So those two things, teaching God's Word and the example that we set, that's how we disciple other people, is by teaching God's Word and through our example that we set. So, we have a Wednesday night youth group called Impact. We've got a Monday night young adult group called Compass. We've got a Monday night uh, ladies disciple group. We've got a Sunday night men's disciple group. And Lord willing, we can have some couples disciple groups. But in all those disciple groups, we teach God's word, verse 1, and we set an example, verse 7. And so our youth leaders, Drew and Taylor, teaching God's word, setting an example. Our compass leader, Josh Wall, Teaching God's Word, setting an example. Hopefully in our men's group. I know we're teaching God's Word. I don't know, Julio, if I'm setting an example or not. But that's, what we, that's how we make disciples. And godliness is a result of teaching God's Word and setting that example. That's the goal. That's the result of godliness is discipling. Second thing that we see is that godliness is also the result of of sound teaching and doctrine. I want to explain that a little bit more. Chapter 1 addressed false teaching, and then here in verse 1, in verse 7, in verse 8, uh, connects sound teaching, biblical teaching, with godly living. Now, we want our teaching here at Freedom to have good, biblical, sound, truthful, reliable information. Everything that, that, that I preach or that Josh Wall preach or guest speakers preach, reliable, biblical, truthful information. And we want it to result in transformation where we have uh, our thoughts become godly thinking. Our living becomes godly living. Our habits become godly habits. Our lifestyle becomes a godly lifestyle. Uh, I've been to Israel seven times now, and I'm leading my next group, or next group over there, uh, this coming March. Um, when I, I teach at about 14 or 15 different locations, but we have a guide with us who's a professional guide, 
and they've been trained and educated. And I'm telling you what, they know that Bible better than I do as a pastor. They do. And they'll give us incredible biblical insights and biblical knowledge, but many and most of the guides there, they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ personally. They have all this information, but it has not led to transformation in their own life. A guide that I had um, a year ago, this past November, I was there with a guide, and he was a guide. He actually he said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, if you look at the scriptures, you look at all those different things, connect all the dots, he's the Messiah, and he's coming back again. He believed all that, but when you ask him, what's he coming back to do? He's coming back to set the nation of Israel free from all the oppressors of the world. So he believed and had this information about Jesus as the Messiah, but he didn't believe that Jesus was his Savior and forgiving us from sins. He thought he was going to deliver. So he had this information, but it did not lead to transformation. So as we read, as we read God's Word and take in this information, ask in the Holy Spirit, Lord, God, speak to me through your Word and change me through your Word. Show me through your Word what in my life needs to to tweak, to change, to live godly, to imitate Christ. Is it, as I read this passage, are you telling me that you're not very self-controlled? You let other things control you and drive you. Be self-controlled. Maybe it's saying you're not very wise. You're acting foolishly. You're listening to foolish people. You're doing foolish things. Maybe it's saying, hey, you're not earning respect from the younger generation. You need to do the things that earn respect. Or maybe he's telling younger people, you need to show respect. Maybe he's telling you as a spouse, hey, you need to love your spouse. You need to love your children. Maybe he's saying through today's message, don't be controlled by alcohol. Maybe he's saying, focus on the inner purity and beauty. Maybe he's saying, hey, you need to be a good employee, a good worker on the job. Maybe he's saying today, don't slander people. We want the information that we're taking in every day and today to lead to transformation. Next thing is godliness. It, it results in living wisely. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 6. Say to the older men, younger women, younger men. I don't know why they exclude the older women. Maybe you're already living wisely, older women. But he says to the older men, younger men, younger women, to live wisely, to be self-controlled. And this, this is the opposite of foolishness. Don't make hasty, rash decisions. That's foolish. Live wisely. Don't be impetuous. Don't refuse to listen to people. Don't refuse to listen to good advice. Young people, young people, listen to good advice. Ask the older people who've already made mistakes. Avoid the mistakes they've made by listening to them. Don't listen to your friends. They're just as dumb. They haven't made the mistakes yet. They're still foolish. Find, listen. Don't be foolish. Don't let your desires drive you. Stop. Seek the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Obey the Lord. Live wisely. Live godly. Godliness results in, in living wisely. Uh, James 3, 13 says, Who is wise 
and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. That means godliness. Who is wise? They're going to be godly. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So wisdom. Wisdom is the most important thing that sets uh, me on the course for godliness. What wisdom is? Wisdom is like the thermostat that sets the temperature of your godliness. Godliness results in living wisely. Godliness also results in exceptional employment. Verses 8 through 10 gave instruction for Christian workers how to live godly in the workplace. What was it saying? Do what your boss asks you to do. Try to please him or her. Some of y'all in this room are bosses, your project managers, your employers. You love it when your employees try to please you and don't talk back to you. So don't talk bad about your employer behind their back. Don't undermine your boss by talking them down in front of their other employees. Don't do it your own way and disobey your boss. Now, if you think you've got a better way to do it, then approach him humbly or approach her humbly and say, hey, what do you think about doing it this way? Have you ever considered doing it this way? Can we try it this way? There's a right way to do that. Don't talk back. Don't give them a hard time. I coach basketball, and I coach baseball, and I give these basketball players instructions. And when they talk back to me like they know better, you know, I want to throw them against the wall. It's like, come on, man, listen, this is not, I'm not trying to make you a worse player. I'm trying to make you a better player. Don't talk back. Don't give excuses. Don't steal. Don't steal materials from your employer. Don't steal time from your employer. Have you ever played solitaire on the computer or on your phone? Anybody ever done that before? Man, we we never had a, a computer till maybe around 2003. Somebody gave us this old, and the only thing you could do on it was really play. I think you could play um, Oregon Trail. You remember that? And you could play solitaire. So that's the first. So I started playing solitaire on the computer. And I remember I was pastoring in Montana probably 13, 14 years ago, and I would have in my daytime or my project list, and I'd get done with one thing, and before I'd start doing the next thing, I'd play solitaire on the computer because I liked it for about 15 minutes, do the next project, get done with that, solitaire, 15 minutes. You know what I realized? That I was playing solitaire while at work for about an hour a day. Because, you know, 15 minutes, four times, I'm not the smartest guy, but I know that that's 60 minutes, that's an hour. And I realized, you know what, I'm stealing time from the church by playing a game when I'm supposed to be working. So exceptional employment from godliness means I'm not stealing materials, I'm not stealing time. Be a trustworthy employee. Well, how do you earn the trust of your boss or of your supervisor. It's by being faithful, by being there on time, by finishing work on time, by being a hard worker, having a good work ethic, and by doing good work, doing exceptional work. And if you do that, over time, you'll be deemed trustworthy. View work 
as worship. Think about this. God has given you two gifts, your abilities and your job. Those are two gifts that God has given you. Don't squander either of those gifts. Do your best on your job with the abilities that God's given you. And when you use those abilities for God on the job and have the mindset and motive of, I'm doing this for you. Maybe nobody else is going to know what I do, but you know what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and how I'm doing it. I'm doing this for you. That's an act of worship. You're using the gifts that he's given you to honor him. You're honoring him with your work ethic and with your job performance. And that's a result of godliness. And it's tied together with godliness, being an exemplary, exceptional employee. Finally, last thing about godliness. Godliness, believe it or not, results in evangelism. Verse 10 says this. You know, as you're an exemplary employee, exceptional employee, that will make our teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. The way that I live can either make our teaching about Christ, about God, attractive or unattractive. As I live godly, it will legitimize the gospel, and it will make Christ attractive. When you live godly, you represent Jesus well. You represent Jesus accurately, because godliness means I'm walking like Jesus, like he did. I'm imitating Jesus. If I don't live godly, it undermines the truth of the gospel. Uh, Probably 20 years ago, I used to play basketball a couple times a week at this church in Jefferson, Ohio. Um, A guy named James, a guy named Mark, and I would go there in the morning, maybe around 9 in the morning, and play basketball, just the three of us, for about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, Mark was a friend of mine. Mark was uh, not a believer in Christ. I would invite him to church. He would come on Easter. He would come on Christmas Eve. Um, I used to. I started golfing because of Mark. He liked to golf. He was good at golf. So I, you know, I wanted to spend time with him. So I picked up and started golfing to spend time with him, trying to share the gospel with Mark. Uh, once, one one of the days we were over at this church playing basketball. Um, there were tables set up in the gymnasium for a dinner that they were going to have later that day. So what we did is we moved some of the tables off of the part of the basketball court that we were using to play basketball. Uh, we were in there playing, and the pastor's wife came in the gym, and she lit into us. We're grown men. You know, in our 30s, she lit into us about those chairs and tables being out of place. And we said to her, you know, we asked first, and they said we could move the tables, and we'll put them back where we found them when we're done. They'll be set up for the dinner. And she steamed off, and then my friend Mark said, I'll tell you what, I'm never coming to this church ever in my life because of that. So our godliness, or lack of godliness, it can result in evangelism or it can result in pushing people away. We help people to meet Jesus and know Jesus as we follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. That's godly living. And these are the instructions that Paul gave to Titus, that Titus was to give to the church. Disciple men, older men, younger men. Disciple women, older women, younger women, to live godly lives. 
That's the message of the church. That's the mission of the church. And what's our pathway this week? Our pathway this week is um, how about memorizing that passage from James, that James chapter 3, verses 1, or verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then this week, uh, read Titus 1 through 3 again. We're still going to be in Titus. And then read James 1 through 3. And then ask God. James 1, 5 says that, that God, if you anyone lacks wisdom, to ask for it, and God will give it abundantly. Ask God to give you that abundant wisdom to live godly. And then next week we're going to be the finish up chapter 2. Today we looked at what does it look like to live godly. Next week is going to be how do we do it. Where does the power come to live godly? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. God, I pray that, that what we read today, what was explained today, was understandable, but was also, Lord, transformational. That, that, that you, through your spirit, spoke to each one of us, identifying um, ways that you want us to, to be transformed, ways that your spirit is working on us so that we can each day live a little bit more of a godly life. Lord, not because it's a religious thing, because that's the best way for us to live. That's what's best for us. It benefits us, but it also honors you. That's worshiping you by imitating Christ, by living godly like, like Jesus did. So help us to do that. I pray for our older men, that they would set that example, that they would disciple the younger men. Pray for our older women, that they too would set that example, disciple our younger women, that our younger men and younger women, Lord, that would be teachable and hungry, wanting to grow, wanting to, to, uh, to live godly lives. And God, we thank you again for our Savior Jesus, because even though we've been redeemed and we're being transformed, we're not there yet. We're still stumbling along the way, failing along the way. Pick us up, God. Correct us. Help us to repent and grow and, and improve in godliness all along the way. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this season of Thanksgiving. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Again, we lift up uh, Ron Haas. We, we lift up joy. We lift up all these other needs in our body today. And uh, give you thanks and praise, and we need you. Uh, thank you, Father, through Jesus. Amen.